Well, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake. Glad that you're here. My name is Brent. If this is your first time, you picked a great day to come check us out. We're on week two of the series we're calling Who Needs God? There's a note sheet inside of your program. Go ahead and pull that out. And uh, <clears throat> it's been a series that really has been designed for a category of people that we defined last week. And kicking off this series, we said that there's a majority uh, of people in our target audience or, or the people who would kind of come to Eastlake or hopefully be interested in Eastlake that we categorize as the nuns, the non-affiliated people. And for, for them, religion and Christianity and just the whole God thing looks like this. I'm not hostile towards it. I'm not affiliated with it. I don't know. It doesn't matter. All people are connected. Be ethical and go light on God, right? For our, the, our friends or our, our Twitter followers or our friends on Facebook or whatever, this is kind of an MO for how to do life and how to do uh, everything that is important to us. And so we said, what, what it would church look like to be, uh, to be, that could address that, that could be a church for those kinds of people? Uh, and this, so this is what that series has been because we've always, um, people like this struggle with religion for a couple of reasons. One is because there are some things about Christianity specifically that are very unsettling. We celebrated one of them like three weeks ago at Easter. Easter is this celebration of, of a belief that somebody who died didn't stay dead, and, and you come and you thought it was going to be just great, and we're giving away tacos, and it's going to be like this fun, everybody gets all dressed up and comes, and then we promote like this massively difficult thing to kind of reconcile with the reality that we live in, and we think, why would you do that? Why would you not talk about how God is love, and everybody's just cuddly and rainbows and kittens, and can we just believe, can I believe in a God like that? And we propose something a little bit more unsettling than that. But last, so then last week I said, well, consider the alternative, right? And I and I said, if you move towards, I don't know if I believe in God, maybe I'm maybe I'm an atheist. I said, let's let's go down that road. Let's look at what atheism say about or atheists say about themselves in terms of taking things to their logical conclusion. Going well, then if you don't believe in God, then here's then what you would believe. And we said we looked at tons of texts by um, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and Daniel Dennett and and and, and uh, one more Sam Harris, uh, specifically what they call the the new atheist. Here's then your options of of what you believe. Uh, which is great, but there are some unsettling things in there as well, right? If you take it, if there is no God, then everything is just biology and, and science. It kind of all works down, and we can kind of make sense of all of these things through explanations. And we said one of the unsettling things about that is that we have like affinity and, and affections towards our kids, uh, and we would say, man, I would just, I just love my kids, right? And and uh, atheists, and, and I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here, I'm being slightly facetious, would be like, yeah, they're great, aren't they? Those little bundles of energy and, and just uh, just those, those little collection of, uh, of particles and, and nerve endings and brain, and you're like, you're ruining it. You're ruining my thing for my kid, right? They're, they're more than just like this physical blood vessels going through different veins, and uh, the, he's got a, my smile. Well, I mean, not technically your smile. And there's DNA in there, and you're like, blah, 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 stop it. Like, I love my kid, right? And so, um, and, or, or looking at like a sunset, and you're like, this, this Tri-City sunsets, man, this is, we're getting that season where like, they're starting to be amazing. And like, isn't that sunset amazing? And they'd be like, yeah, as the light reflects off the different particles, and this, this. you're like, you're, again, you're ruining it. You know what I mean? It's like, I, 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 I find myself in this unsettling thing that every can, everything can be boiled down to biology and physics versus, and on the other side of things, I've got everything is a result of a, a, this divine creator. And we find ourselves in the middle. We're like, I'm just, I'm a nun. I don't know what I am. I'm, I'm, I'm unsettled. That's unsettling. I find myself to be a little bit unsettled. We feel like we're stuck in the middle. On one hand, we have this doubt. 
I don't know if I can believe all the things that religion expects me to believe. And on the other side, it's like this despair. If everything is biological and explainable through physics and reason and, and logic, um, then it kind of seems a little bit purposeless. And there's like, that when you die, that's just it. And that feels very despairish. And so I, I don't know what I am. So I'm just, I'm just a nun. And we said, well, what if the God that you'd stopped believing in and walked away from, what if, what if that wasn't really truly the, the God that is presented in Christianity? What if what if you sold yourself short on something different? Because here's the steps to deconversion as I see them. There's a couple of different ways that you can stop believing, right? There, I get stories like this all the time. Uh, people come up after service and be like, this is really great. I enjoyed my time. Thank you so much for creating an environment like this. Let me tell you a little bit about me. I stopped believing about such and such. And here's, here's what it often looks like. Here's how it plays out, right? The first step is always I grew up in a religious environment. Uh, some sort of my grandma, I, my grandma was really religious, and she, when I was over at their house, they always took me to church, my parents took me to church, and then I turned 12, and they stopped making me go, right? I experienced some sort of a childhood conversion at some point, and I don't remember when, but my Sunday school teacher, you know, did the whole raising my hand thing, and, and if you were to ask me, what, at what point did you become a Christian? When I was a kid, that's your answer, that's my standard answer. I don't remember, I don't remember a date, I just remember uh, being in enough church environments where like the fear of what happens if I didn't was struck into me where I just did it like 20 or 30 times and I don't know which one took. So that's, that's how it, childhood conversion worked for me. And then this is how it often works. Deconversion. I transitioned to an irreligious environment. My mom stopped making me go to church. I moved to college. I went to Pullman. I became a coog. I went to an irreligious environment and I liked it. And I really liked it. In fact, I liked it so much, I liked it a lot. That's how much I liked it. And so, and then what happens after that is, is this right here. I begin asking adult questions about my childhood faith. I took this childhood faith that I have, and then I went and I learned so much about uh, biology and life and macroeconomics and all kinds of whatever degree or field that I went into. And there's all kinds of intense conversations about that. And yet I had this childhood faith that I, childhood faith that I had kind of like, attached with a leash with me, and then I kind of drug it with me wherever I went. And then I realized I was beginning to ask fact-based questions, but I was getting faith-based answers. I began to ask difficult questions about things in life that I feel like are real and legit, and I begin to find myself getting answers with, well, you just need to believe, and that's going to be what you need to do anymore. And one day it dawns on you. I don't know if I believe anymore. You don't know at which point you stop believing, but you just find yourself going, I, I just don't, I don't think I believe. In the same way that you can't pinpoint a date that you received like this childhood conversion, you cannot pinpoint a date, really. You'd be like, I remember September 4th, I stopped believing in God. You'd be like, I just don't think I believe anymore. I don't think it's important to me anymore. That is so typical for a deconversion story. Another one might be something happened to you, like literally an experience took place and you couldn't reconcile the reality of what took place with a God who's all loving and all powerful. And, and, so, and then you just had to be like, I don't know. I don't think I believe anymore as a result of all this. Karen Armstrong is a, an author. She writes a lot of books and she's not writing. This is not a Christian bias book. This is, she comes as a, probably she would define herself as like a uh, religious mysticist, like something exists, but I, you know, it's really hard to define. She wrote a book called The Case for God, which walks through um, humanity's depiction of religion. It starts with like in the caves, how they would depict like the God and the, all, all the hieroglyphics and all that, and then it evolves through the Egyptians and the, the Greeks and the Romans and all the way to Christianity. It's, it's a fa fascinating book if you like history of religions and stuff. There's a quote in there that I pulled out this week. It says this, many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God at about the same time we were told about Santa Claus. 
But while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, spoiler alert, our theology remains somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that he existed. We denied that he existed. The versions of Christianity that most people walk away from and deconvert from stem from one of two things. Either as somebody told me so God, which is what we're going to be talking about this week, somebody told you a version of God, and, and, and they may have not explicitly used the words, but they lived it out in such a way that this is the kind of God, that, that this is how they live, so this is the one that they must believe in, this is, this is who exists. Or, a Bible tells me so Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. So today, as somebody told me so God, so God, we're going to be talking about versions of God that you were probably handed as you grew up with. They didn't define them in, or they didn't label them in the way that we're going to label them today. But as I describe them, you're going to be like, that's the one. That's the God that my parents believed in. That's the God that my church believed in growing up. That's the God that I kind of inherited with me. And that's the one that I stopped believing in a few years as I kind of went on with my life and began to mature myself. So we're going to describe six of them. There's probably way more than that, but for the sake of time, here's six gods that don't exist, but we grew up with them and we would do right to stop believing in these types of gods. Number one is bodyguard God. Bodyguard God exists because uh, we grew up with an idea. Somebody told us that uh, bad things don't happen to good people. So if something bad happened to you, that must then reflect on your integrity as a person, right? That, that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, and that's how the math works out. And God exists um, in, in such a way that if, as long as you continue to be good and as long as you continue to uh, attend church or, or give to the church, which there reveals probably the manipulation taking place, uh, then, then you can expect good things to happen um, to you. And it, by the, this is so basic, and it's, such an, it's, it, it's definitely something that we grew up with, and it, on the surface it looks good, because who doesn't want to live a good life? Who doesn't want to live a safe life? And who, which American isn't inclined towards believing in that which makes me more of whatever it is that I want to be, more wealthy, more beautiful, more safe, more um, you know, bigger families, whatever? We get that. Who doesn't want good things to happen? But bodyguard God does not exist. And it, it really, this is so simple. And, and because there's six of them, we're going to go through them a little bit fast. And the first ones are kind of like the silly ones that lead into the more complex ones. But it, it doesn't take you long to realize that this God doesn't exist. And I can't believe that this is one that we're still falling for because Christianity is based on the central premise of something insanely bad happening to someone incredibly good that we just celebrated three weeks ago, Jesus, who Christian, Christians say is the most perfect individual ever to have lived, right? All of a sudden, something bad happens to him, but not us, because that's not how God works for us in our bodyguard God mentality. Listen, if you walked away from Christianity because bodyguard God didn't protect you long enough, something bad happened to you and you felt like you were a good person and therefore either he doesn't exist or he doesn't love me or he's not powerful enough to protect me, then good for you. You should have walked away from that God a long time ago, right? That God doesn't exist. Number two, this is what we call the on-demand God. And an on-demand God is, uh, is one of those gods who 
submits to the requests of the people who ask him of things, right? Because we're in this weird dynamic where God has the ability to provide. We are the ones in need of provision. And if we can make a reasonable request, that's the caveat that we give. Listen, I'm not asking for anything unreasonable. And if I were in your position, God, if somebody was asking me for something that's pretty selfless, that sounds like it's reasonable, I would do, I would respond favorably to a request like this. So therefore, you should respond favorably to my requests for this, right? And I don't even want it for myself. Listen, I'll be completely selfless. I just want my kid to have a date. I want him to grow up and have, I want him to, 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 it's prom season and uh, good grief, kid needs to get off the video games and get a date and out of my basement of my house, right? And so that, that's part, okay, so I'm being selfish out of my basement. I just, okay, just, I just want him to have a date. I want him to have a girlfriend, a boyfriend, and, uh, and all of that. And, and, and um, I, I want uh, them to get married and have kids, and so I can have your grandkids. Okay, it becomes selfless again, right? So, but this is, the, this is the on-demand God who always responds to fair and selfless requests the way that we would. We think we would put ourselves in that position, and I would do it. And if I would do it, I'm not even that good of a person, and you're supposed to be God. Therefore, you should do it. And we ask for miracles, we ask for signs, we ask for some sort of interventions, and it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen over time. And after a pattern of nothing, of no response, of seemingly silence on the other line, or neglect, or whatever, we say, you know what? I don't think he exists. Because I would do something. Because I'm a decent person. So either he's not a decent person, which why would I want to worship that God anyways, or he just doesn't exist. So if you walked away from on-demand God, my question to you is, whoever told you that God always responds to sincere and selfless requests in the way that you would expect? Who told you that? Are we not creating God in our own image? Is that not really like us being like, well, this is, this is what I would want from a God. Are we not then really taking ownership on that? And it, it, Christians would call that idolatry a little bit, right? I create God in my own image to be able to serve the needs that I want, right? So if you walked away from a God who didn't respond in reasonable ways that you thought would, you know, would be reasonable, then good for you. You should have walked away from him a long time ago. That kind of God does not exist. That is not the claim that Christianity says that when they say there is a God and you can know him and he's on-demand God, right? doesn't exist. Number three is this, boyfriend God. And this, by the way, could be girlfriend God too. could work either way. This is the God whose presence can always be felt. It's very emotive. It's very emotional. And since if, so then we go through these phases of life where it's like, oh, I feel God. And then those moments where you can't feel God, where it's, there's not the, 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 the love like that I can tangibly feel, then he must not be real. Since I can't feel his presence, he must not be present. You grew up and you went to summer camp and it was a church summer camp and they had like this really cool like stage with all these decorations and there were like fog, smoke and fog and lights in a band and every, all the, everybody's jumping up and down. And, and, or you went to a church and the lights are on the band. You're like, this is weird. I'm not used to this. He's like, he's not off. And, and then people around you are like raising their hands in worship and whoever's talking from the front, they do like a mini sermon between each song. And, and the mini sermon talks about how can you feel the presence of God today and everybody else in the room's like, yeah. And you're like, I, don't, I can't, I don't know what this is about. You know, this is kind of odd. Boy, boyfriend, boyfriend God can be felt. His presence or her presence can always be felt. And if I can't feel it, then that means he's not real. Now, the problem that I have with that is this. Do you know that you are least aware of that which is most constant around you? 
you are least aware of that which is most constant. You have probably never turned to somebody in a room where the temperature is just about perfect and said to them, isn't this temperature just about perfect? They'd be like, you are crazy. What are you talking about? You never say that. That which is most constant, you are not aware of. You, ne- you did not wake up this morning and go, man, I feel American today. Wow, I feel American. <laughs> Anybody else feel American? But you are, probably. That which is most constant is rarely felt. Mother Teresa, who has been like a, obviously, she did that ministry in Calcutta and worked with the, the refuse of the world, or she says, give me your broken, I'll, I'll take it. Nobody wants to touch them, I'm, I'm there. She kept a diary, and it was revealed after her death in posthumous publication that in her diary, she talked about feeling distant from God. Prayers, confessions, God, I cannot feel you. That would go on for weeks, months at a time. Somebody who for us would be like this religious icon that probably felt the presence of God, that people when they were around her would be like, oh my gosh, you can just sense the presence. Well, good for you because she couldn't. Self-admittedly for her, God, I just want to feel you. I'm going to stick with it but please grant me that emotion. Listen, there is an emotionalism that comes with Christianity, right? I'm not saying that there can't be experiential moments where you're like, dude, I can tangibly feel, but the absence of that does not mean that God does not exist. Listen, if you are banking on emotion being the driving force for a relationship with you, then that's just boyfriend God, and that God, you'd be right to walk away from that. Listen, so many people uh, grew up going to a, a church that was a little bit more charismatic, uh, or a little bit more emotion in, in worship or whatever, and then they come and they're like, and then I went to another church and I got too old for that youth group, and so then I went to big church, and in big church, they just don't do any of that, and I just make me feel like maybe God's not there. That's probably because you believed in or brought into boyfriend God, and you would do right to walk away from him. He does not exist. Number four is this, this and this one, by the way, uh, that we're going to talk about, this is the hardest one to shake. This is the one we don't really want to believe in, um, but we can't seem to shake him, and, uh, and it haunts us, and it's guilt God. Guilt God. It's the God who we feel like is up there, and he motivates us through guilt, that when we do things that are bad, he's up there going, uh-huh, and taking tallies. He's got this, this uh, eternal clipboard, uh, and you're never sure what's on it, and he's like, ah, ah, ah. And, you know, you're like, I'm trying to do good, but I don't know if you saw it. And I don't know if I'm, how many points I got for that. And does that wash out what I did last week, right? Um, and with guilt, God, it, we feel like every time that we go approach him and with things that sound fun, what's the answer? No. That sounds fun. Uh, okay, well. Uh, and if it's ever sexual, it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you can hear the pencil scraping. You're like, Oh, good grief. I would imagine that if you walked away from guilt God at some point, it's probably because eventually you got tired of trying to be good, but never knowing where you measured up. And then when you got bad, you just felt really bad. And it had something to do with like this moralism and ethics. And, and you're just like, I just can't deal with this. I can't deal with the unknowns about all of this. And I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm tired. I'm, I'm like, I'm weary from guilt God. And so therefore, you stopped believing in that kind of a God. And good for you. Good for you. 
not the God, that God, that was us, that somebody told you God, and, and they may not have even told you, but that's how they lived. You were in that uh, religious environment long enough to know that that's how people operated in their life. And so though they might not verbalize in that way, that's how it played out. So that's what you can believe in. That's what we're offering at this church or whatever. You would be good to walk away from that. The last two are, are critical, important. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on these ones because I, I think that I, I think that I may have left you last week a little bit hanging on this. I, I, we did our, our podcast after, um, uh, after last week's message. I was like, I wish I would have said this more. And so now I get a chance because there's additional parts in the series to be able to address this. Anti-science God. Anti-science God. If you've ever had a tension of feeling like I'm forced to choose between undeniable science or unreliable religion, like you got to pick one. What are you going to go with? Over here, we've got undeniable science, especially in a culture like the Tri-Cities where you've got P&L and all of these scientists and more PhDs per capita, blah, 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 right? Really smart people. You guys are smart people. If you've ever, if you've ever walked away from God because you felt like somebody in a position like mine or a religious authority or whatever or a religious environment were like, well, you have to choose between unreliable doctrine and unreliable religion or undeniable science, you're like, well, I mean... I, this is tough. This, actually, it's not. I take that back. It's not even that tough for me. I know exactly what I'm going to choose. This is undeniable. This feels unreliable. I've got to go with what I know, and I cannot continue to pretend. And the unspoken message of whatever religious environment you grew up in was quit thinking and start believing. Quit thinking and start believing. As if it was some sort of a virtue to take what is undeniable and to then believe something that goes against that and be like, see, that's so much, so much faith. Richard Dawkins wrote in The God Delusion. Wow, it says it, says it great. Here's his quote. One of the truly bad effects of religion is that it teaches us that it is a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. That we would stop, that we would say, there, that's perfect. Now just trust that God's going to finish that thought, Right? If you, had, if you walked away from religion, if you walked away from Christianity because you felt like you were given a really a false dichotomy between science or God and you didn't know and you're like, I can't I have both? Nope, got to pick one. Then good for you. The decision between science and God is a false dichotomy. If you felt like there was a tension between the two, and if you felt like your Sunday school God probably could not be reconciled with science, I totally get it. And here's the funny thing about it, is for the people who are like, who hold this to be true, like an anti-science God, they're, they're hypocrites. And we're, we are, we are. Everybody, everybody in this room, everybody in every church, everywhere on a Sunday morning, listen, here's some fodder for you if you're like, you know, skeptical of church and me and all that kind of stuff, I totally get it. Um, we're hypocrites when it comes to this category, especially when it comes to the health of our kids. We say we're all about God, about God, anti-science, totally about God. And then when our kids get sick, what do we do? Scurry to a hospital or a walk-in clinic as fast as we can, don't we? I never get people banging on my door. The glass door is out there going, hey, my kid's sick. Can we talk about this? That never happens. I'd be like, you should go to the hospital. It's right around the corner. I'm, I'm, never, I'm never like, come on in, let's talk about this. If you took your kid in to the clinic, listen, let's take this even further. If you took your kid into Cadillac right across the street, right? 
And they started doing some testing. And they're like, well, we've never really seen this before. That's never good news when you hear that, right? And they're like, we're going to do some tests. We've got some labs. We're going to send it to these people in Seattle or Spokane. They're going to take a look at it, and they'll, they'll be in touch, right? You're sitting by your phone the next day, all day long, right? You're praying, but I'm sitting by my phone. Phone rings, you pick it up, and uh, there's some voice on the other side of the line as well. We got the test results back, and we're looking at them, and we just want to let you know what we think is happening is that God is trying to teach you a lesson. <laughs> You'd be like, is this a prank call? Am I being punked right now? What? You'd be like, ah, no, 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 no. I want natural solutions to my natural problem. Don't give me this jargon about churchy stuff. I want, I want answers, and I want it to be scientific. Yeah, I'm religious. That's fine. I, yeah, I've got this whole thing about God, but it's weird how we have this uh, ability to compartmentalize that kind of stuff when it comes to the health of our kids, don't we? It's so crazy how that works. So crazy. If you felt forced out because of science versus religion, I am so sorry. The church in the last... I don't know, 20, 30 years, has not done, the capital C church, not like the church that you came from or the one that you passed on your way here, the capital C church as a whole has not done a great job of being able to walk through that in a positive way. But I do want to say this. What Christians have historically believed is that scientific discovery is a search for how God did it that the historical church has not been anti Maybe the church that you grew up with and you came out of, and granted, yeah, in the last 10, 20 years, it hasn't been great, right? But historically, it's been a search for how God did it. Lastly, the last category of the God that you may have walked away from because somebody told you that this was how God existed or who he was is what's known as the gap God. This is also known as the God who no longer exists in the Columbia Center Mall. Um, it's the Eddie Bauer God now, so you can it, those two terms are interchangeable. The gap God is uh, the God who conveniently shows up as an explanation for everything that we can't currently explain. Anytime there's something that we're like, well, we don't really know how this works. Well, that's God. Well, maybe. You know what I mean? Uh, we, we put this in and we, we say, it, that's unexplainable, therefore God exists in the unexplainable. Uh, there's a couple of problems with that, uh, and it's it's funny how it plays out sometimes because we'll be like driving through the mall parking lot. And it's Black Friday or it's a Saturday or uh, some sort of busy Christmas shopping holiday, and there's no parking anywhere, and we drive down towards the front, right, right in front of Barnes and Noble, and what what do we see? These reverse lights in the slot that's the closest to the doors. We turn to our kids and be like, "It's God, it's a God thing." <laughs> it's unexplainable how this happened. I don't understand it. That's God. Aren't we so glad we did our devotions today, guys? <laughs> and as silly as it sounds and whatever, it really is undermining our faith. If we limit God to the explain, unexplainable, if we limit God just to the unexplainable areas of our life, it really is limiting who he is and what he could potentially, or what he, what he does mean for us. The type of thinking that undermines faith uh, is be, here's why it undermines our faith. is because that list of things that we can't currently explain is getting shorter, and that's a good thing. As science progresses, as we technologically advance, as we become a more industrialized society, and we become more knowledgeable at everything, the, thing, the list of things that we can't explain gets shorter. That's a good thing. The list of things that we can't explain gets longer. That's great as well. 
Don't you hope that science is eventually able to cure every disease and that there are no unexplainable diseases? Yes, absolutely. Who of us did not watch this week that viral video about the little baby who was deaf, who heard his mom and dad for the first time? Did you watch, see this thing go through? This kid's crying, all of a sudden he hears his voice and his eyes get big. And you as a parent go, oh, it's not even my kid. And I'm like, the allergy season, terrible. So sick of all this pollen in the air, right? If you walked away because you put God in the list of unexplainable things that then became explainable, and you're like, oh, well, then I don't really need God. Then it leads us to this question of who needs God anymore? Well, who needs him if, if we're just years away from being able to find all of these things? It's a great question. If you walked away because of this, I totally get it. I'm in. Here's why. Unexplainable today may be explainable tomorrow. The things that are unexplainable in today's society may be explainable tomorrow. Unexplainable is not evidence for the existence of God. Unexplainable, in most cases, is evidence for the existence of our ignorance, right? That's all it is. We just don't know. If everything were explained and explainable, it would not explain away God. If everything, let me say that again, if everything were explainable and explained to you, it would not explain away God. Here's how I know that that's true. You have an iPhone or some sort of a smartphone probably in your pocket. You know a few things about it. There may be some of you who work at AT&T or Verizon or whatever. You probably know more about it than the average Joe. Then there are those people who work for Apple or work for Samsung who know every little detail about every little thing in your phone, how the antenna works, what the plastic is made of, how the battery connectors work. And yet, even if you knew, even if you were able to figure out everything about that, you would not then conclude that nobody made it. All you would know is how to explain how it all works. You wouldn't say, well... I guess that means nobody made it. That would be a illogical conclusion to illogical explanation of how it all works. It's not the unexplainable that points to God. It's the explainable, extraordinary regularities. Listen, the creation story as it's presented in Scripture and in what Christians have long held believe is that God created for the six days, and then he, what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. He rested. He let it all kind of go. So, if we believe science when it tells us that it all began with a singularity, a bang that unfurled the universe and that the laws that govern time, space, and matter and continue to expand and introduced us to concepts uh, known like, uh, such as uh, natural selection and all of those things, and if we coincide that with the belief that God rested on one day, he created, he, he started this big bang and then rested on this, what would we expect to find as a result of a creation and of an ever-expanding universe in which all of the things are governed by time and physics and space and matter and all that stuff? We would find or expect to find a predictable, stable, explainable universe. If God, if we believe in a God who rested and said, let it be, it's good, everything's good. Now I've seen it, everything's good, 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 good. What would we see? A predictable, stable, explainable universe. Listen, Christians launched the modern science movement based on the assumption of a predictable, orderly universe. Christians launched the modern scientific movement towards let's understand the world that has been created for us. Why? Because they did not believe in many gods who determined, you know, or based on how we behaved, were either appeased 
or mad at us based on, you know, if we sacrifice the right things to them and everything was a result of multiple gods being angry with us and, and here's what we get. That, that's unpredictable. That's, you can't even study that. But when you, when you approach it with, I believe, an A God who created some things and then rested and then let it kind of go, this would be, then that would create the space for an orderly, discoverable sort of universe in place that is worth our time to be investigating. Think about it. There's no point in trying to understand a world that was at the whim of various gods. We do not need to be overwhelmed by the unexplainable. So, all of these somebody told me so gods, that somebody along the way communicated to you, whether verbally or in the actions that they kind of lived out. Let's call these, for the sake of our series, the gods of the No Testament. We know about the gods of the Old Testament. We know about the gods of the New Testament. These are the gods of the New Testament. At no point do these show up in Scripture and have any sort of scriptural or biblical basis. It's how people. It's what people believe. Yes. It's what people. It's what a lot of people walked away from. Yes. There are reasons to question the existence of God. There are, but these are not them. However, these are the oftentimes the reason why people quit believing. This may be the reason why you quit believing. Listen, we recognize we are a church that is super comfortable with people on the entire spectrum of belief, whether they're fully convinced or not convinced at all. We're like, it doesn't matter. You're welcome here. We love it. Sit, stay as long as you want. We'll watch your kids. You can drink our coffee. It's great. And along the way, we, we, we recognize there are a lot of people who go, I stopped believing in God back then because I couldn't rec- reconcile it with the reality that I was living. And I would say to you, all right, great, perhaps the God that you stopped believing in or the God that you were walking away from, does he look anything like this? Does he look anything like these? Was it communicated to you? Did somebody in a position of authority or, 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 or somebody that you took, you read them or heard them or listened to them or went to their church or whatever, and, and for whatever reason, the God that they communicated to you looked a lot like this, and you're like, I just, I, I don't buy that. I'm not in. Great. Good for you. You should have walked away from that. But perhaps would you give me the grace to challenge you to be like, that doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. That just means that those gods don't exist. Couldn't you, wouldn't it be logical to say just because those don't exist doesn't mean that something doesn't exist? These are not arguments for or against anything. These are a combination of unmet expectations, childhood expectations, ill-informed interpretations, blatant manipulations. So, little takeaway question, little quiz for each of us. Three quick questions. One, where did your view of God, where did your view of the God that you struggle to believe in originate? Where did it start? If it's a somebody told me so God, who's that somebody? What did that look like? Where did that version of God, where did your version of God that you don't believe in come from? Number two, did your view of God grow up or did you just outgrow it? Did your view of God grow up or did you possibly maybe just outgrow it? Number three, did grown-up questions undermine a childhood faith? Did you not invest as much time in investigating what God would look like as, as you did other arenas of life where you, your ability to perceive and imagine what reality looked like escalated as you grew, became more mature as you became more mature? Last question, where do babies come from? 
You think this is obscure. I'm serious. Last question. It's an important one. Where do babies come from? Storks. My kids are loving that movie right now. That's our answer right now. They found out last week, the same time that you did, that, uh, that my wife is expecting our, our fourth child. We didn't want to tell them early because they don't know the reality of keep that a secret. They'd be like, okay, and then they tell everybody. So we told them. And then our question to them is, Where, where's, where's mommy's baby? It's in mommy's tummy, which is perfect. They're four years old. That's exactly where a baby's t- baby is. You know what I mean? And where do they come from? Mommy's tummy. My daughter's nine. She's right at that verge. Where do babies come from? You're like, should I tell you or should I? Mommy's tummy still. <laughs> mommy's tummy still. I'm, daddy's not ready. You know what I mean? <laughs> Eventually, she's going to get to the age where you got to have that talk. <clears throat> and then imagine she goes and she goes to college and decides she wants to be a nurse or a doctor or whatever. And she's in class and she asks about where babies come from. She's going to get a far more complex and detailed answer than the one that I give her at the age of 9, 10, 12, 13, whatever that, 21, whatever age that I decide <laughs> to have that birds and the bees talk with her. It's going to be more complex as it goes along. We accommodate to a child's capacity. It makes sense in the terms of child's belief, right? At some point, mommy's tummy isn't enough. But at no point do we abandon our belief in childbirth. At no point does London get to, go and get to an age where she's like, I don't really think that mommy's tummy is the right answer. So therefore, I don't believe in childbirth. <laughs> Maybe, perhaps, you just didn't. That was great for you then, but it didn't transfer later on. And it's uh, silly when we put it in the area of, or the arena of childbirth as a kid or figuring out where babies come from as a kid. But haven't, isn't it true that maybe that's possible for our faith as well? Maybe that's what we've done too. Maybe the answers that we learned as a kid, they don't reconcile with the reality that we live in. Is it really God's fault? Is it the fault of the people who told us because that was the age appropriate for us? And it has nothing to do with, oh, I'm, you know, 30 or 40. Maybe it just has to do with where I'm at in terms of my maturity of what I believe. And as I'm grappling with this faith journey, I don't, I don't know. Perhaps I owe it to myself to look back and be like, maybe, maybe the God that I disbelieve in and I'm walking away from never exists in the first place. And it is a sign of my maturity that I've now rejected that God. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there is no God. Maybe I've just never given him a fair shake. Maybe I'd owe it to myself to look again for what God can mean for me. Because my answer to the question of who needs God could potentially be, maybe I do. Maybe I do. Now, today is not an argument for God. I'm just suggesting that when you walked away, you may have walked away unnecessarily from a God who never existed anyway, as somebody told me so God. Next week, we're going to be talking about A Bible Tells Me So Jesus. And uh, I, if you have ever walked away from faith because somebody goes, well, the Bible says, and you're like, I just can't reconcile that with life. I so badly want you to come back next week because uh, it's going to be one of those messages that it's going to rustle some feather, ruffle some feathers. It's going to be something that I don't know everybody's going to agree with. I'm probably going to get emails and connect cards and be like, I don't know if you love Jesus anymore. And I don't want you to miss it. So would you come back for that? Let's pray. Father, today, thank you. Thank you so much that we uh, 
are able to have a conversation like this. Thank you for a church that says that this is a space that's safe enough to be able to grapple with some of these questions and underlying issues. Um, I know that there's a lot of places where it would be the whole idea of just stop thinking, start believing, whatever. And I'm not here to criticize that, but I am here to say thank you for a faith that meets us wherever we're at. And I believe, just based on my experience, a, a faith that is as deep as I'm willing to go, a, a faith that, as deep as I'm willing to engage. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with all of this in light of what we've heard today. And the courage to act on it. In your name, amen.